Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast, where we listen into a group of rural firefighters as they give their opinions on the challenges they face both on and off the fireground. We release a new episode every week, so please hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this with your fire family and friends. Now on to this week's episode, where as always, we ask the question, are you DTFF? Hello and welcome to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Carl and tonight I have one, two, three, four, five members of my firefighting family. Better broom closet. <laughs> six we need, we need some bigger, 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 bigger closet. I have Ash. Can't Hello. Six. Six. I have Kev. Hello. I have Rob. Good evening. I have Scott. Hey there. I have Mr. Spence. Hi Carl. And from our extended fire family oh, I have I see what you're Timeless Todd. Hello. It's back again. <laughs> back again. Lives forever, this one. Um, Ash, what have you got? You got some shout-outs. Motus. Yeah, so um, we've been uh, playing around with the old Motus uh, snagger tool there. Uh, I'm sure you all saw Rob's June uh, calendar pose there from the other grass March. fire that he was running. March. Yeah. Um, so they reached out to us today. They've got some pretty exciting news. Uh, they've got a new product coming down, and uh, they've asked us if we'd be interested in doing some uh, uh, some testing with it, uh, do a bit of a product review for them, and that's something that we're really excited to try out. So, yeah, look for that. I believe they are going to debut the product um, May 1. So by that time, hopefully we'll have a chance to have used it a few times in uh, training, maybe in real life, and we'll see what we can do with it. So, awesome. Yeah, really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really nice of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, we've been uh, using their snagger tool for a little bit now. It's been yep. useful for the bits mm-hmm. and pieces we've been using it for. Mm-hmm. Um, we will also have a YouTube video and a review coming up on that, along with obviously the RZ mask, which we are still utilizing and uh, testing with as well. Again, we used them again today for a garbage fire, which went quite well. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that. Also, a shout out to uh, Chris. Chris, we, um, we've we been talking back and forth with Chris. Chris is having some issues with um, with burn buildings and things like that, which we're going to end up discussing on a, probably either next week or the week after episode. Depends on how today's goes, if it turns into two, because you've got a lot of content. <laughs> But um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that and uh, kind of discuss ways that you can maybe get funding for or build cheaply. Yeah. Train, train on a budget, I think. Yeah, train mm-hmm. on a budget. And in fact, oh, this will be always cool. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 Love it. Just save ten minutes of our life. <laughs> <laughs> Why can you do that just a minute ago? Fifteen minutes to get a title and you still don't like it. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that is, we'll have that conversation as well when uh, when we get around to it there, Chris. So that will be in the next couple of weeks for you too. Uh, Ash, you also have some news for me. Yeah, so I don't know if it's news or more of a a product that's coming down. Um, is it a new sex flamethrower? It is, yeah. So <laughs> all of your sex and flamethrower needs. Um, Flamethrowers are pretty sexy. They are, I was wondering yeah. where that episode was going. <laughs> <laughs> So it's actually product by Samsung, and it's the Samsung Fire Vase. I, I, Fire Vase! I'm not making this up. Um, so what it is, is it's a vase, you fill it with water, you put a flower in it, whatever. 
Um, if a fire breaks out in your uh, home, you uh, throw this vase, as we're all watching a quick video of it, uh, it extinguishes the fire, spills potassium carbonate stored in the vase's outer chamber. Uh, oh yeah, look at that. A rapid cooling reaction suppresses oxygen, which puts out the fire. It, th this video is next level. Um, <laughs> it says here it is aesthetically oh, pleasing. Stellar. Uh, fire safety never looks so good. <laughs> These people, the actors and actresses, are pretty top pretty notch. legit. Yeah. yeah. So uh, look out for the fire base coming in hot from Samsung. A little, a little concerned about all the subtitles of another language in there though. <laughs> oh, it's, it's very or oriental. I will say, yeah. What happens so, if you grab the wrong vase? I think just <laughs> your wife your, kills you. Your petunias get fucked. I, I don't know. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, that's, that's the one that had the fuel in it. PG thirteen this episode. So is it? Is Samsung trying to make amends for all their batteries that caught fire? Oh. Hey! Now we're going to see. model for when you're <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they're giving you one with every phone. Right? <laughs> right. Here's a phone with this just in case. Yeah. Keep it next to you, man. S whatever we're on with your promo. Firebase. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it safe? Like, is it... <laughs> Is it safe? Like you drop the vase. Well, yeah. Like you drop so. the vase in the ground by accident because that's what it's, I know. Is it vase or is it vase? I mean, <laughs> let's get it clear. <laughs> is it RZ or RZ? The, you're, uh, you're the expert in the, the, the flower. The, you drop the flower receptacle on the floor <laughs> and it breaks. Is it going to kill you? Take a break. <laughs> by, by removing your oxygen that you use for breathing. Yeah, because I think I use oxygen to breathe. I'd be a little skeptical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I think that's maybe how that works. Because those people seem pretty happy. To I got it. <laughs> Let's reach out to Samsung and see if we can get ourselves a Firebase. Yeah. Well, Fact. Yeah. We, we need that. that. Who's going to test testing. it by dropping it on the floor? Moving on. He is the closest to the floor. That's right. <laughs> Dane is the shortest member of our fire department and he consistently gets abused for it. And rightly so for being short. So, uh, <laughs> so you know how like some businesses have like a swear jar if you swear you put a nickel in or something or a quarter? Yep. So did Bob make you guys or is he going to make you guys every time you get off topic throw a loony in this jar? I think he wants to, yeah. <laughs> He's Never always, gonna happen. That's yeah. that's our budget increase rate. Right? <laughs> yeah. We, we can actually start getting paid for the podcast at that point. <laughs> that's right. that's right. It's a monopoly, man. So do not collect the swear jar. Is that why you've been in practice lately? Because Bob has been looking for you for calling. Him no, no he, <laughs> he collared me. He collared me already. Yeah, I got in trouble for calling uh, calling the chief the monopoly man. <laughs> Although we still have ordered him a monocle. We are going to get on with the episode. It's a tick, it's a tick monocle. <laughs> a tick monocle. Yeah, that's you really get a sunglass one too? <laughs> Sorry, Bob, we're off subject. Uh, where were we? Um, tonight's episode, even though Scott doesn't like the name of it, but he didn't come up with a better one, is Fire Rescue Task Force. So we had a message from a, a gentleman a while ago asking us to talk about um, the kind of terror attacks and how fire kind of folds into that. And recently, the uh, the Vancouver area, um, the Vancouver Police and Fire Rescue team, they've kind of created this team of guys which they respond to active shooter and uh, and high-risk high threats. 
Um, so we kind of were going to tie the two together and have a bit of a conversation about the active shooter side of things and how fire is now being pulled into that because as you know um, and as you probably maybe even are a lot of fire departments are also first responders um, in this instance our department is not but um, there are a lot of departments out there that are and this is definitely something that is being kind of put on put on these departments doorsteps um, for for kind of being called into these things when they do happen. And they are becoming more frequent as well. So uh, we're gonna have a little bit of a chat about that. And that is why we have Thomas Tobras, because he has been, he's, he literally bought like a massive bag full of binders <laughs> of information on this stuff. So uh, I hear he's all read up and tuned in. So yeah. do you want to give us a little, give us a little rundown there then of the, so what the, the kind of a little bit more details maybe on the, the Vancouver Police and Fire Task Force, just initially to get people a little bit more knowledge or did I kind of cover it? Yeah, so for anybody who's uh, not up to speed, basically um, what's been happening is a number of years ago, pre-2010 Olympics, <clears throat> uh, the Vancouver Police and BCEHS um, worked in conjunction for a um, public safety unit. So essentially that was what some people refer to, like their riot police, etc. But uh, we call it the public safety unit. And uh, we had paramedics integrated with them, with teams doing uh, tactical training for uh, large mass um, crowd control events. <clears throat> and uh, they wanted uh, the ambulance service to work with them, of course, for that medical you know, partnership um, in, in the hot zones. Um, that was the beginning of what we were all hoping for uh, going into like a tactical medical program, kind of like how Ottawa has now with the, their paramedics and uh, their police force, their joint uh, attack medic group, uh, which is actually the first to certify in, in Canada now. Uh, so we were all hoping, and when I say we, BCHS, we were all hoping that um, that was going to go that way. Um, it rolled on for a few years, and then the ambulance service decided to go another route, didn't want to be part of it. Um, Vancouver police were very disappointed in in it to say the least and it sounds like I don't know all the details on it But it sounds like Vancouver fire stepped up to the plate to partner with them to continue this on Good job, boys. So it's uh, it's disheartening as a paramedics point of view that we're not involved in it um, however props to uh, Vancouver fire guys <coughs> to stepping up and, and doing it because it's their city and their Yeah, they, they stepped up to do it. Yeah, good for them Good for them. It's a big thing, you know, like, uh, I know that we were talking previously just before the episode started there and we were saying, like, um, England's been doing it for a while, ever since um, back, I think, 2010 when they had the, the bombings and stuff there as well. So they've been in Edinburgh as well. They had a whole bunch going on and those guys, they have a joint task force there for those sorts of things too. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so we're going to, we'll start off then with... Um, because we've got a bit of a list to get through. So I don't know where you want to begin there, Scott, because you've got a bit of an idea as to what you wanted to discuss yeah, too. Yeah, um, because in my other job, I tend to teach this a fair amount. Right. Um, so I think taking a step back to like in the past, why this is important, why it's important to send um, fire and uh, police in, it, it kind of all stems from, from the Columbine shootings, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with. Um, because back then, they didn't... There, the procedure for uh, shooting was to surround the place, lock it down, wait for the guys to come. So, or SWAT, where we're from, um, they used to do like first units in. Like the police would come in, they'd roll in, 
They'd surround the place, and then SWAT would eventually assemble and go in and deal with the problem. What they found in the Columbine shooting was a number of people were obviously shot, and it took them quite some time, like an hour, I want to say, before... Yeah, the majority of them bled out and exanguated yeah. and died on scene because there's no no uh, medical support and no bleeding management, essentially. So what that did is that changes a police um, mindset of how to deal with these threats. And they started dealing with it in what they call a media rapid deployment. So they, they, they attack, or they attack. They move in right away and they find the threat. Because they, what they found is most active shooters, once confronted, will either take their own life or now they've drawn, the fire is drawn to them, to the police. So they'll deal with it. Um, it gets away from those victims. Because literally, like, every second counts because it doesn't take long to pull the trigger. So that's why it's important for the police to enter immediately. But then the police are finding, while they're still rolling through looking for the active shooters, they need medical to come along with them. And that's where Todd was talking with the tactical medical stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think also just to, to bounce back and forth a little bit, with the uh, rescue task force that Vancouver Fire and Vancouver Police are doing, um, you know, it's, it's great for their city, um, but this is just that's just a band-aid for our province like you know us in our small communities we're not going to have that same ability you know we're still going to have the status quo where you know police are going in ambulance is going to be staged far away right so as we get into other talks here we'll talk about some other little things for bleeding controls and things that are in the works okay so maybe let's uh, maybe let's move over then to um you know what scott you you kind of take on this because you've you've got an idea as to where you want right. to where you want to start with this right so I'll, I'll kind of just ask questions as I go to pop up but anyone else should do the same as well right so do you want Scott to say hello and welcome and we'll I think you should <laughs> hello and welcome <laughs> <laughs> nice Scott. yes say it in the British accent um, I think taking a step even before the police even arrive the important things that people like you know and I know everyone listening is fire but if you talk to your relatives your family like I talk to my kids about this um, is, is a new kind of way to deal with these um, active shooters, which is run, hide, fight. It used to be lockdown. It used to be everybody lock yourself, like in a, in, say in a school, lock yourself in a classroom, turn your lights off, hide. Um, but what that tended to be is if the guy, if the person was really hell-bent on trying to kill people, it's going to be like fish in a barrel. So I don't know where it came from. I, I want to say it's Texas originally came up with it, but I, I'm, I might be wrong. Um, they came up with the concept of run, hide, fight. And it's just that. There's several videos. I think BPD, actually, Vancouver started doing a video on it now. So pretty much every major um, city now has videos on it. Um, so run, hide, fight is just what it says. First thing you got to do, obviously, is run. Um, if you ever shot a gun at something, <laughs> any hunters, it's very difficult to actually hit things. <laughs> so if you're, move, if you're moving target, it's difficult for the person to, mm-hmm. to hit, the, hit them. Um, also, if there's multiple targets, it's hard for that person to engage so running is the number one thing next one if you can't run person's right outside the door then you hide turn lock your doors uh turn off the lights turn off your cell phones or silence your cell phones yeah mute your cell phones like we all have done tonight um and then obviously once you're hidden if uh if the person starts entering that where you are then you gotta fight because i know uh, i think in in england actually I think it's run, hide, report. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Uh, one of the one of the countries in Europe is run, hide, report. It's <laughs> it seems kind of uh, kind of silly. It's funny too because in at home you 
there's very few people who actually have guns. Yeah. There's very few people that have, well, well and legally anyway. You, you know, they don't even call it an active shooter anymore. They call it active lethal threat now. Right. That's the kind of the term that people use now because it doesn't have to be a shooter because in London right now, I think the the uh, the stabbing stabbing has went up like a 100% or something. And vehicles, yeah, and and people running people over the vehicles. Yeah, so that's one of the more common ones. Yeah, I mean, you got a several thousand pound vehicle running running people down. Um, so they just call it active uh, active lethal threat, and what that means is basically they have um, unhindered access to multiple um, multiple individuals, and you can basically it's like like active killing of people. So that's what that's what it is. So it's, you, know, you can be stabbing people, um, shooting people, running them over. So obviously, if you have the opportunity, um, rather than just sitting there, you should be fighting them. So, um, with whatever means you have, uh, whether it's like multiple people jump on them, take them down. Um, obviously, the the New Zealand shooter thing just happened in the last couple weeks. Um, before the uh, video was brought down, I saw saw the video. Um, one person did try to grab him, um, didn't quite make it. But you know, if multiple people start going after the shooter, maybe someone can bring him down, right? So, <clears throat> we're going to be talking about this in, in a couple of different, through a couple of different viewpoints here. Um, we are obviously going to be relating this to fire and how um, we obviously have an impact on scene and how we're being more readily used for those roles. And like Todd was saying specifically, the, some of the ambulance uh, services are, have not been, um, didn't, didn't unfortunately come forward for some things. So some people have to, the Vancouver guys stepped up. So, and that may be the case in other places too. Uh, and again, we were talking that they're first responders. So <clears throat> Todd, do you want to maybe take, take a next swing at it? Um, sure. Yeah. I guess basically the next kind of thing. I mean, the big, I think the big problem with this is <clears throat> like for, majority of us in volunteer fire department settings is you know we're not going to have these teams like the larger cities right so are we probably going to get called to a big event most likely what are we going to do well probably wait till the police tell us it's safe to get in there um <clears throat> one thing that is heavily talked about now through our ambulance service and multiple agencies is we got to start changing our thought process here we know these events are going to happen sooner or later up here um, so what are we going to start doing? Everybody's paranoid about liability, but some the big things that we got to look for is that that trauma management, that massive bleeding control, that hemorrhage control. Um, <clears throat> like Scott was saying, what they they learned from Columbine and stuff was that when the police first entered, people were still alive. Uh, they're you know, riddled with holes and bleeding, but they're still alive. So they figured that if you know if some simple know hemostatic agents were used or tourniquets or just even basic direct pressure that probably would have alleviated a lot of uh, a lot of the deaths um, and unfortunately it was it was a pretty crappy learning experience uh, but now that's why they're implementing these teams like that rescue task force um, <clears throat> so yeah I guess really I don't know how to tie it into a fire department talk but when you talk about hemorrhage control uh, there's lots of little things out there um, your go-to, of course, for massive hemorrhage control is your tourniquet. Um, the big thing we want to think about are simple steps first, though, right? So your direct <coughs> pressure, elevation, um, then we start talking about um, wrap, um, bandaging and um, using different uh, bandages like those modular bandages that actually have a little inverted cup 
it'll actually uh, sink into the wound to give you that better pressure to, to cap it. Um, also then quick clot agents, hemostatic agents, uh, if you guys are trained in them to use them. Um, and wound packing is another big one, uh, which I know Scott's keen on. Um, and wound packing is, is by far the best, but we always want people to be trained on it. Um, and then if those other steps aren't working to control that bleed, then we go to our tourniquet. Our tourniquet we want tight, we want three to five centimeters above the injury, um, and then hopefully that's going to stop that bleed. Uh, if it isn't, you can add another one on top, or just above it rather. Yeah, I think we had talked about tourniquets during our red episode. We've talked uh -huh. about tourniquets in a few things actually, and I think it's something that uh, is fairly new to a lot of places and a lot of people, whether or not some have even got it, it's something that you should be definitely throwing in your red kits. <coughs> well, and actually, uh, in the last year, last September um, in in British Columbia and I think other provinces they've started adding into their uh, <clears throat> industrial first aid mm -hmm. which in the states it's like that's like OSHA um, so we're basically uh, now they've started adding tourniquets into into like level one first aid kits level two I remember back when I you know or, or all of you have taken first aid and it used to be like tourniquets were like the the big no-no mm -hmm. um, it was like the guy's leg's gonna fall off like you know it'll, you'll ruin his life forever well it, He's dead. Life's ruined. <laughs> so over, you know, over how many, how many years have they been fighting wars now in Afghanistan, Iraq? You know, 15, 16 years. They've realized that these tourniquets are, are saving people's lives. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. they they're now in the mainstream, and I think they're even getting added for you guys now, aren't they? We've had, had them we've had tourniquets for quite a while. Um, now we're getting into some different stuff as far as wound packing <clears throat> and a few other techniques. Um, and yeah, so there there is big changes coming for paramedics for uh, major bleeding control for things like this. Um, but I think importantly enough, that needs to get rolled out to police specifically for these types of events, yeah. <clears throat> because if we don't have a back a backup team into this, um, you know, I know somebody somebody's got to be there to to start doing this. I know the police, of course, you'd be able to elaborate more on. They, they've got their target. I don't believe they're going to stop to address anything. They're going to keep going to find that target, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, actually, that segues into one of the other discussions that BCHS is working on. Our clinical educators are working with uh, the ACT Foundation um, in our province. And the ACT Foundation is the uh, <laughs> Advanced Coronary <laughs> Treatment Foundation. So, they're the group in the high schools that provide the defibrillators and all the CPR training. Um, and they're a fantastic organization. Of course, here in your town, there's been a recent save in the, in one of the schools, which uh, one of your firefighters was involved in as well. That's for CPR, not not the no not, for not CPR. <laughs> yeah. But Just so the but the <laughs> the ACT Foundation <laughs> with uh, BCHS and our clinical educators, they're working on a project right now called Stop the Bleed. I don't know a lot about it. They're working on it, um, but essentially, it's going to be getting major bleeding and hemorrhage control tourniquet applications and training uh, into the, all these high schools with the teachers and having kits available uh, in the school. So when when there is an event like this, the teachers to start with will be trained to start applying these in those settings. And then the next step hopefully would be students as well. So they'll have those kits really available like a defibrillator hanging on the wall. It's going to be a trauma kit hanging on the wall for these events. So that's going to be a good fix for us in these smaller areas where we don't have these TAC teams going in with the police to do these uh, these uh, hemorrhage control procedures. 
So they're going to be training staff as you tease these things too? I believe it's going to be starting with staff and then the goal, I believe, will be stepping down to students afterwards. It's still, they're still building, I don't, I don't know a lot yet. about it, but mm -hmm. that's where it's going. Mm -hmm. And all the faculty trained up and then yeah. some, if not all, of the, of the uh, student body. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's a, it's a fantastic yeah. idea. <clears throat> I, uh, I brought this up to one of our clinical educators um, a few months back. Um, I was looking at a uh, company in the States called TACMED Solutions, and um, they have these kits that they, they sell and they promote. And I was actually, it wasn't Texas, it was, a, it was a police school resource officer who he started getting these kits and putting up in the schools and training everybody in hemorrhage control and, and active shooter procedures and I saw that and I loved it I was trying to figure out how to tie it into BC and then I talked with our clinical educator and she said well actually we're starting to work on that so it's pretty exciting nice because it doesn't have to be a shooter or, or even one of these incidents it could be you know a car accident anything well you gotcha, yeah. mm -hmm. I mean I carry well not on me right now but anytime I'm out I within, within fairly easy reach I have several tourniquets you're like eight in your trunk well, no, 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 actually I cleaned my truck out the other day, amazing enough, <laughs> off topic. So I, I didn't have I didn't have a full scuba set. Don't worry, Scott, I got a tourniquet in that black bag. Right there. There, you there you go. Yeah, you're safe. So I mean there we have we have like a major lead pop right now, man. Um so I mean we, we have three in our we have three in our rip bag. I think you guys know that. We have several in our rip bag, three. Um now that the first aid is being upgraded, we're gonna have to get some more, put them in our actual first aid kits. Um, I mean, they're they are handy. Like I'll you know I'll go to Disneyland, I'll have one in my backpack. I get, I get little little weird looks from security guys, but I'm like. <laughs> yeah, I don't take a pocket knife to Disneyland. I forgot, no, definitely I forgot about mine in my pocket, and I had to relinquish it. It yeah. sucked. Yeah. But the tourniquet, they kind of like, oh, what's this? Oh, they're, they're kind of like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. But um, definitely make sure if you're buying tourniquets, um, get proper ones. Um, the cats tourniquets probably the, the gold standard. Um, the softy wide is probably they're like neck and neck. The softy wide is made out of um, metal. So uh, there has been some studies, I guess, the Marines and stuff um, in Afghanistan that the, some of the cats have actually broken. The windlass have broken because of mm -hmm. the plastic, just because of the weather. So um, I mean, they're both very good. They're both very similar. Uh, there's some other more sketchy ones. If you're going to Amazon and stuff, you start buying ones. Um, there's one called the Rats, which is um, people don't particularly like, but uh, I've noticed they actually are better on like children, because a rat is basically like I don't know if you've seen a rat. It's no, like it's basically like a, a hunk of uh, like rubber, but it's kind of because um, the reason why tourniquets are wide is so you don't do damage from understand, right? Yeah, you, you want a wider surface area. Yeah, so when you wrap the the rats, it wraps like <clears throat> side by each, so it like so it ends up being this wide in the end, but it's a, it's a fairly tight wrap. But because I, I notice if I put a cat's on like my one of my kids, <laughs> just for fun. <laughs> it's hard to stitch it down enough to actually restrict the flow of blood, so the, the rats will actually wrap tight enough. Um, that's I wouldn't on on an adult. It's not the best for like legs because it just you just can't get it tight enough. But and then there's obviously ways to make tourniquets out of various things. I mean, they've been doing tourniquets since the Civil War yeah. <laughs> or before. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's not new technology. It's just it, for whatever reason, for years and years and years, it was like. Don't ever use a tourniquet. Mm -hmm. But then, no. Well, how long has it been that we the tourniquets were bad? Because I re seem to recall my first big uh, first aid course in the late nineties, early thousands. We talked about them at least. 
if not practice them. Well, I think the big thing with that is, and I may be talking out of my ass, but I think the big thing <laughs> it's is... okay, we always do that. Is yeah. that <laughs> they, the application of them, they... they they sure they oh crap somebody's bleeding oh it's it's doesn't look good we'll throw a tourniquet on or a makeshift one and they put it on super tight and they leave it there and it would sit there for way too long oh yeah and yeah. when that bleeding could possibly be controlled by other measures direct pressure proper direct pressure you know some of these other bandages maybe some wound packing elevation you know mobilization uh, things like that so I don't think those earlier steps were were um, being tried i think it was probably just oh, slap tourniquet on it and then everybody's saying oh well that's bad he lost his leg because he put that tourniquet on and it was just the one stab wound or whatever well and i think there was no actual i don't know if there was actually tourniquets like there was like like they didn't have proper tourniquets they had like the old belt and, ropes whatever, and belts. Rope. triangle yeah. bandages yeah triangle bandages yeah, and stuff yeah. like they didn't have um, yeah and then we had to yeah. tighten it yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and then you yeah yeah mm-hmm. so they didn't have like what they have nowadays which is these they're kind of like they don't bind up and they don't do damage like they're they're designed for their uses for and this other modular bandage that i spoke of before i'll pass the picture around here it is fantastic see oh, yeah. there's a little plastic cup and i don't know how to pronounce this company but it's a good shout out for them it's olays o-l-a-e-s oh yeah, yeah i know she, yeah fantastic Olay. fantastic company um this is the kits this we have these exact bandages in all of our kits um and they they're fantastic but we're good so just to just to let everyone know as well, obviously, yeah, we're talking about tourniquets. We're talking about these bits and pieces. Uh, for those of you that are listening in now that haven't listened in before, um, Todd is a, uh, a high and licensed paramedic as well. So he's got all his tickets and bits and pieces. That's why Todd is on talking about these things. And Scott is also in a position with his other mainline career where he deals with these things too. So that's probably why the rest of us are a little bit quieter tonight. Um, but we do have, when, when I said earlier, we were talking from a point of, um, education, we absolutely 100% are from two of our, two of our members for sure on this, on this, just so, you know, cause I said, obviously we're not emergency responders. We're not an emergency responding hall, but, uh, you know, these guys have, have seen it and they've been there and seen it. So. And you know, as I'm listening to all this and I'm thinking, we, we've even said this before, we kind of joked about it, like it's never going to happen here. But there's places where the fire hall will, or like we'll show up and we're the target of the active shooter, right? Like people are doing things to attract us. Yeah, was that, so well, it was in New York, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, last year. I'll probably mm-hmm. Detroit too. <clears throat> yeah. No, I think there was actually like a guy that his house on fire. And then when the fire department arrived, he shot the fire. <clears throat> yeah. He shot the That's not cool. So we are, we could be walking into something. So this knowledge, sure. Like we're not going to be elite task force one alpha whatever but we're going to be the <laughs> speak for yourself that's what I was going to say <laughs> alright actually that's, that's, that's for life I'm going in <laughs> yeah um, fire team six <laughs> so you said uh, but I mean all, all this knowledge everything that we're talking you know that we're we're saying here tonight um, we potentially could be walking into that and we will need that for our own guys let alone the rest of the public um I think uh, I think part of that is going back to what Spence has said many times before is we're a catch-all. You know, mm-hmm. the fire department is a catch-all, and when it hits the fan, they call nine one one, and they don't know who's really supposed to be coming. So, and you know, regardless, I mean, I'm sure an active shooter they know who they're, they're supposed to be calling, but we do we get those random things that might be one thing, and then you know, there's there's something else. So yeah, and and I think the biggest takeaway from this is too because I know we're talking a lot about the 
leading management stuff. But as far as for fire departments in, in our rural areas is, you know, it's important to <clears throat> start having these conversations as part of our, our pre-plans, essentially our emergency management planning. We need to be talking, have our chiefs and officers sitting down with the ambulance and the police saying, and maybe our, our, our school districts even, and principals saying, okay, what's the scenario? Like, what's, what are we going to do? How are we going to respond? We all know our job is going to be standing back until the police go safe, but we need to be talking about this. We need to get, get this conversation started somehow with them. Um, and that's why this, just this knowledge of basic bleeding control and triaging is huge. Um, and that's why this ACT Foundation, I'm really pumped on uh, getting that going in the high schools. But it should happen at every level, even in the elementary schools. And even like Scott said, <clears throat> we need to be talking about that, uh, the run, hide, um, and fight. You know, what's the school district's going to be doing? Like, they should be more proactive with this. You know, I think we were talking um, a while ago, about you said there's some really cool devices behind doors to lock, yeah. block the doors yeah, and things those, like yeah. that in the schools, right? Yeah, stuff so, that goes under the door. Why isn't or, that? Be, is it being yeah. talked about? Is it being thought about here in BC? I don't know. Well, and a lot of it, like there's a, you know, a school around here, and there's schools everywhere that still still go with that um, lockdown stuff. Mm -hmm. Lockdown's great if there's a, a threat outside, but like I always say, if if the building was on fire, do you wait till the fire department arrives to tell you to get out of the building? No, you get out of the building. So if there's something, if there's someone in the building killing people. Are you going to wait? Why would you wait? <laughs> Why would you wait for the police to come and hey, get out of the building now? Um, I know people are like, oh, you can get shot. Like, well, you're probably going to get shot if you're laying in a, in a corner. A lot of schools have outside exit doors from their actual classrooms, mm -hmm. such as around here. And like, don't wait a million times. If you ever hear shooting, run out that door and just keep running. Like, this is one time you're allowed to disobey your teacher. Because <laughs> you're going to, I want you to, you know, I mean, it's going to be safer, right? Um, on the fire side, there's a few things. Um, one thing that a lot of the guys do, they will actually, well, what was that? Down, I think the, one of the Florida things, Parkland, I think. The, uh, the shooter actually pulled the fire alarm to get more, to get more targets in the hallway. So who gets the call first? Police or the fire? Right. Fire is mm -hmm. going to get called before the police are going to get called, right? Mm -hmm. So you're rolling up on scene thinking it's just an alarm response. You know, the chief rolls up, going direct. Alarm response, but it's actually a shooter. A shooter, and then the other thing is uh, looking at that New Zealand thing in the back of his car. In that video, he had I think four jerry cans rigged uh, below, which was full of gas. So you could get called to a to a school on fire, thinking it's going to be something. And then, like Ash said, they just drew you in. So um, fire is definitely is always going to be involved in that. And like Todd was saying, it has to be. Like we have to work together. And we have to plan for it now, not later. With that vehicle thing, you're talking about not only like an active threat, being somebody using a vehicle to mm. drive through crowds of people. How do we know that they haven't booby-trapped that vehicle as well with, just like you said, jerry cans or whatever? Yeah, like vehicle-borne IDs are, are huge, obviously. Mm. That's the, that's a, I think that's what kills most soldiers in Iraq, is, is that. So. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. and I know for that too. Um, the uh, even us when we go into normal, uh, if we go into a structure fire, um, if we're going into say grow ups or things like that, and we don't necessarily know it's a grow up. And there's the booby trap things we've discussed, the video we posted, the knife thing. 
A lot of these things are rigged with incendiary devices as well, right? To try and burn all the evidence and bits and pieces. We don't know, obviously. I mean, small town, we'll never see it in our life. But you know, these things are these things are definitely out there in other people's towns, and you gotta be careful with it. That's where the tourniquet conversation is a really good one because it's mm. not just these situations; it's every situation, and you know, having one in your pocket even is is useful. Well, it could be rolling up to like a uh, MVA, and there's a a bleed there. We're usually first before ambulance gets there. We can't just sit and wait, especially if ambulance gets delayed. We can't wait that however long for them to get there. We need to do something to save that person's life. Yeah. Yeah. Fact. The, the other thing in these mass incidents is, is what it comes down to is they need lots of manpower. Mm-hmm. So where do you find manpower? Well, the fire department has a fair amount of manpower, mm-hmm. more than paramedics have and more than police have. Mm-hmm. Typically there's, you know, 20, 30 people available to come help. So that's that's how we're going to get tied in as well. Yeah, so on that, and then you know, coming back to if there was an incident up at the school, so I don't know what their enrollment is right now, but there's got to be... Of, 400? Four, four plus 100, yeah. So we say they're uh, shut the door, lock the door, and hide, but there's people everywhere. Mm. If of 400 people, 50% run, where are they going to go? If something happens to a portion of those 50% that run outside, now these people start getting tagged on their way out, now we got some injuries, but they're still mobile, they come outside. I mean, I wonder if that talk is happening. We got a triage. Yeah, you got a triage, and then so, you got to figure out where you're going to house them all yeah because you got to do a head count so i i think our involvement would be because yeah there's going to be two two ambulance in town a slower like a response coming from some somewhere else there's 30 well there's 30 guys girls that are ready to roll in and do some sort of a triage yeah definitely i think and this ties into what we want to talk about cbrn stuff Mm -hmm. like uh so any sort of mass incident incidences like that that's what we come down to when we start triaging we call uh, bullhorn marshalling right mm-hmm. so um th- essentially we can't go and properly triage people they go mm-hmm. at a one-on-one basis so we see a group of people hurting or limping or mobile or just running we're gonna try and bullhorn marshal them mm-hmm. with a pa system or whatnot <clears throat> and direct them into a safe staging area so then we can properly assess them in that way mm-hmm. so i think you know, maybe that's where that that might happen with us. Uh, you know, when we did training um, at the coast, uh, we did um, we did a lot of scenarios where we literally looked at a topographical map of Metro Town and planned out these terrorist uh, incidences and what's going to happen. Okay, where's a, a terrorist going to plant a, um, a dissemination device and a venting system, and people are going to start getting sick? And I can't remember the exact the numbers for it now. But they're telling us that the majority of our patients will leave the scene and either go home or make it to the hospital on their own. Mm-hmm. So now you don't just have one scene to control. You've got individual homes, possibly, if it's if we're talking about like terrorism stuff, uh, and the secondary scene is at the hospital. Mm-hmm. So your resources start getting really spread really thin. I mean, it's, it's well, then also like <coughs> if you start, you know, the lowest level of triage, like everybody go over there yeah well someone needs to be over there that understands a little bit about medical so maybe that's mm-hmm. fire because paramedics i'm assuming are going to go deal with their serious in- mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. so down. fire is not to be like okay we need to know at least that level of uh 
especially in our smaller settings. Like you said, there might be one, two ambulances there and then another 30, 45 minutes for another ambulance. Yep. So that initial 15, 20 minutes, you know, there the paramedics are going to be directed to those higher duty <coughs> people, probably from the police, because they're going to be number one on scene. Right. You know, and then that could totally be our role as fire departments coming in and exactly what you just said. <coughs> yeah, I mean, again, with with us being that catch-all and with any emergency, we pretty much get called you know, for the majority of stuff now. And in small towns where you've got the department, Dublin is your your paramedics <coughs> and stuff too. You know, it's guaranteed we're we're probably going to get tied up even more when we're in those kind of situations. Um, so we've kind of talked a little bit about the um, obviously the the active shooter side of things and tourniquets and bits and pieces there. Uh, maybe let's just touch a little bit on the the decon side of things. Uh, and you were you you mentioned briefly there the CBRN stuff there in the washdowns. Do you want to do you want to get into a little bit of that there, Todd? Oh, I'm gonna run out of rabbit hole. Where do we begin? So, so everybody knows, obviously everyone, and we're kind of we're flip flopping here, but it it still it still represents a portion of this and is still very valid for this these kind of scenarios. So, um, being an advocate for making sure that people decom properly is is a big thing, um, and if you don't have anyone in your department telling people they need to do it, be that guy. Get Carl. Get Carl. <laughs> you need to do it because you know all that stuff's coming home with you. Every time you've got that stuff on your coveralls, you're getting back in the truck. Now that stuff's in the truck. You're there doing truck checks. Now that stuff's back on you. Are you coming up for a podcast right after another dumpster fire? <laughs> just like that. So uh, I'm gonna open the door now. Um, yeah. So just make sure that you're doing it. But Todd, do you want to talk a little bit more on it? Yeah. I, I guess this this kind of goes hand in hand with large-scale terrorism events and just our average fire, like, like like the dumpster fire you guys just did, right? When you talk about CBRNE, so chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, and explosive. That's what that acronym stands for. However, when you talk about chemical and biological, essentially, that's what a lot of us get contaminated with at a very small-scale stuff, whether our fires get a lot of chemical, right, in, in our turnout gears, and there's lots of conversations about proper decon, like, we need to be washing the gear down before, after the fire call, before you get into the truck, uh, properly doffing your gear, um, a lot of departments now are putting in saunas, right, they're showering and they're having a sauna, and then they're taking that stuff out, um, so, it, I mean, we could talk about that, or we could talk about the larger scale of, of emergency washdowns, because we're not hazmat trained. So I think the, one thing you showed us, which was cool, because you're obviously trained. The washdown, yeah. So Todd came in, and uh, I think all of you guys were there for that. Um, Todd came in and taught us uh, some kind of cool, some cool stuff about CBNR and E, whatever you just said. <laughs> it's literally on. The I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he, he taught us a bunch of stuff, but he also. Uh, kind of came up with a way to decon large groups of people which was pretty sweet yeah so um i didn't come up with a way i learned oh, sorry. It in my training what you <laughs> said you came up with <laughs> but uh Trademark. it was way cooler when it was yeah so <laughs> so cbrn basically where 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 i got my training was was just it's the to the basic level um through the animal service and again this was pre-2010 olympics where we got all our funding for so we actually had a team in place 
for a small period of time and then we had advanced guys as well who actually went out to Ottawa who trained with live biological agents and live chemical agents and actually did all the crazy cool stuff and proper decontaminating <clears throat> and how to actually treat people if you get an exposure with atropine and other uh, anticholinergic agents and everything. It was, it was quite quite the procedure. Was Nicholas Cage there? <laughs> <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> so we had we had a small group that was trained to that level and we had all the swag. We had um, ambulances and trailers full of decontents and you name it, like the whole works. Um, so our role or sort of my role was was basically learning the basic side of things on uh, the proper uh, dress and your level A's, B's, and C suits, um, decontaminating um, clients or patients, victims, uh, going through the procedure, setting up your your hot zone, warm zone, your entry points, and your um, wash down points and stuff like that, um, and then where are you can put everybody, and then we had the discussion. Well, great downtown Vancouver, this works fantastic. We've got hazmat teams, we've got everybody else to resources. Well, now we'll go back home, small town, BC. Sorry, don't have those teams at all. So emergency washdowns came into place. Um, emergency washdowns are great because it's been proven that up to 80% of the contaminants on somebody, just by emergency washdown procedure and removing that clothing, gets off of them. So there's only that 20% that might be still left on them. They still need to be decontaminated. Uh, properly, but at our levels, all we can do is that basic emergency washdown. So what we did was um, there's a couple different scenarios. So essentially, uh, if you have a ladder truck, you can set up a ladder truck with your uh, nozzle down and nice high volume, uh, low pressure, just like a nice narrow fog down for essentially what it's called a washdown. You want to wash from the top down. We want to avoid washing or contaminating our, our faces with it, anything extra dirty hands, things like that. We don't want to rub our eyes, face, mouth. We want to wash top down. Um, what we practiced, because we don't have big fancy ladder trucks, was essentially putting two pumpers together with a ladder uh, cross with an inch and a half up to the top of the ladder hanging it down through the nozzle and I think we even put two two and a halves on the side pre-connects right yeah, on, fog. on the discharge on fog so it gave this beautiful shower effect and you um, bullhorn marshal these people in through these procedures so anybody in that warm zone or on the edge of your decontamination and warm zone that's where you want your emergency washdown set up so you're able to bullhorn or we are able to bullhorn martian these people in through this and then direct them over to to a safe staging area until they can be deconned so with that that can be you got to take into effect your wet weather so can they sit outside do we need to get them a bus to go hang out in you know what can we do um and with us that don't have level a b's and c suits we can still do that procedure in turnout gears for a certain amount of time. Uh, we still don't want to get within three meters of somebody who's contaminated until they're fully decontaminated, but that's essentially what the emergency washdown is. Then we still need to figure out transport to the hospital after that. But I think uh, one, of, oh, sorry, one of the funniest ways to do practices, which Rob is about to talk about. <laughs> uh, well, no, actually, my, I, was getting, I had a question for Todd uh, first. Um, with the washdown, what do they do, or how did they implement stopping whatever it is they're washing off from getting into sewer or water systems? Yeah, so great point. <clears throat> so anytime you're decontaminating in a true decontamination center, uh, that water is supposed to be dammed uh, and going off into like a bladder or a bag, so it's okay. fully 
fully contained. If we don't have something like that, which we don't, uh, you do have to consider your ditches, where your water is going, right? Um, where it's going to be draining out to. If there's ditches or pipes or um, grates, you want to dam those up to block those so it's not going into the system. Um, there is evidence and numbers out there on the volume of water to dissipate yeah. things, but I don't know what that is. That's above my level. So, can't answer that's that part. Yeah, eventually get so diluted. Ask a hazmat tech, I have no idea. So, so back to Rob and how we, how we practice this on one sunny... Actually, yeah. The, it comes back to Todd teaching us the decon, uh, one of our practice nights. Emergency washdown. Yeah, emergency washdown. We, we were doing a fundraiser. We were doing a car wash for a fire department uh, that had lost their haul in a wildfire a couple of years ago. So we decided to do this car wash, and we were trying to figure out how are we going to actually do this car wash. And, and we make came it be up, cool. And make it be cool. <laughs> <laughs> and we came up with the idea, let's set up a washdown. And we put one of our extension ladders between two pumpers. Uh, we, I think we actually utilized one of our water walls mm-hmm. and on the ladder above to spray yeah, down. Really and then yeah, two, yeah. two and a half nozzles off the mm-hmm. side ports of the truck and mm-hmm. worked fantastic. We've got pictures, yeah, we got can, some video. I can post the pictures. <clears throat> and, yeah. and yeah, it worked really well. Nice. Nice, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and actually, because uh, I was thinking when Todd was first talking about this, how would we practice this? And I was thinking, oh, if we get the fire kids <laughs> all together with the families on a hot August. <laughs> hot and, summer uh, day. You know, mm-hmm. set it up. But then the car wash thing came up, which is even <clears throat> a better idea. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is something that like it's funny as it sounds, it is a it is a way to practice that because you guys set. I wasn't here when you guys set that up, but um, you guys set it up just like a decon would be. Yep. Uh, you know, same. I mean, you, I think a, a semi truck tried to come through. You guys said the yeah. ladder up a little higher, but yeah. <laughs> that was that was sketchy. But uh, <laughs> but it was a really good way to demo the, how that thing would work. So yeah, yeah it worked really well, mm-hmm. and a great way to make money. <laughs> Which is going to tie into Chris's question. Yeah, Chris, there, there you go. go. There you go, Chris. There's yeah. one. There. We don't have to do a podcast. I don't Carol. know. <laughs> yeah, so I think essentially when you start talking about any sort of CBRN or hazmat situation at our levels, because we don't have hazmat teams, we're not hazmat uh, tech trained or anything like that, <clears throat> you know, I mean, majority of our members usually aren't even in hazmat operations. It's just hazmat awareness levels, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, I mean... As we all know, we're going to get called if somebody's contaminated or if there's an event. We're going to have to deal with it. So that's where this emergency washdown and having that awareness level is so key. So we can talk about um, uh, how to identify these hazards. You know, talk to your local paramedics, get other people involved at looking at some of these other signs and symptoms uh, for what needs to be done. Because the last thing you want is, oh yeah, I just I scrubbed him down with a little bit of soap and water and hose he's good to go throw him in the back of an ambulance and now they're off gassing and that patient or the, uh, that paramedic is getting sick now because they're in a contaminated mm-hmm. area uh we've actually had that event in our town somebody dumped um uh some spray chemicals i can't remember exactly what it was i think it's some organophosphates they dumped over them uh, and drank them uh, he was trying to kill himself. Okay, I was like, oh. and uh, <laughs> you're not he, read the warning labels. <laughs> yeah, no, he was trying to kill himself, and he ended up off gassing all the way to the hospital, and then in the hospital, like it was a disaster. This was a long time ago, yeah. but uh, that's the prime example, right? So we, we we as fire departments have to be aware of this. So if we can provide that emergency washdown and recognize 
okay, no, he's not decontaminated yet. He can't go yet. We got to really liaise with the ambulance and figure that out. Right. And then early notification of the hospital. Well, um, one big thing with the ambulance service that we have these, uh, we have our paramedic specialists who are fantastic for working with signs and symptoms for treatments for this stuff as well. So that's going to help us as fire departments as well. That That's a great example too, because we have a lot of farms around. Again, we've talked about this before that have chemicals and sprays in the area stored in sheds. And if we get called to one of these, we're definitely going to need to have a wash down procedure. Well, we, well, we went to one. We did. Yeah. yeah. Last time. It was, it was Last the year before, I think actually. And we did decon. Uh, we had um, to. Yeah. yeah, we definitely, cause it, there was like yellow smoke <laughs> coming from this thing that was on fire. Yeah. In the end, like we pulled the, we pulled the stuff out. We talked to the, the guy that was on shift. He said, well, so because we were like can we put water on it for so he's like yeah and then he's like you know it's it's mainly okay but definitely decon so um, i think we had a guy we, we didn't have both pumpers that night so i think we got one guy on top of the hose bed ash was up there yeah, yeah. And, was some, job, and, and we just kind of stood there and he hoses down from distance mm-hmm. rinses right off it was warm enough i remember because we managed to get all our gear off mm-hmm. put them back in the uh, in the bush truck because the bush yeah. truck or no, chief's tr- uh, the chief's duty truck, truck, came, chief's duty truck put it all in the back of the duty truck actually it wasn't warm enough because i remember when we got back everything was frozen, was frozen yeah. and then we took it out and we re-deconned it all once mm-hmm. we got back to the hall yeah. yeah it's important to add too for for emergency wash down stuff is you know soap and water that's number one, you know, that's yeah. going to get, like we said, and removal of the clothing, uh, that's going to get up to 80% of this stuff off. But we're also not using high pressure. We don't want to be hammering these people yeah. with hot water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't want the pores to open up and absorb this stuff in. You know, we're not going to be telling them to really scrub it off because any sort of um, abrasion to the skin, agitation, it's going to absorb. So it's just a slight wash down, light wash. Like a deluge almost. Just lots and lots of mm-hmm. low pressure water. Uh-huh. I'm wondering then whether maybe we should start carrying one of the um, one of the truck scrubbing brushes on there just with a bucket of soap. You said, uh, you said don't scrub. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> you don't <laughs> well, no, no, no. I meant for our, I meant for our gear. For, yeah. So yeah. So mm-hmm. back soft, into the gear stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. You betcha. Well, I yeah. think uh, there's a the guys were just dumping like Dawn or something. I was watching yep. it for the decon. Uh, they were just dumping Dawn on the guys and they were scrubbing them down real quick with with mm-hmm. just like a yeah a soft yeah. brush and then hosing them down their gear. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I think, I mean, I know for our department, we definitely don't do enough. If you're filthy, sure, you get the hose a little bit beforehand, yeah. but it's always well after. I mean, you might get a bit of the hose on scene or you're going to get the hose on your gear at the hall. But to properly like wash your gear, we yeah. need to be doing that way more. I don't think it would take too long either, like really. It, it's literally for each person, maybe a few minutes each, right? Like you got one guy with a brush, scrub, one guy with a brush on the other end, scrubbing again, right? Like. It's, I think it's just a change, it's, the hardest thing is it's a change of culture, uh, culture. Yes. because yeah. we are definitely, there's more chance of us decoying nowadays. I mean, we just actually made a hose that's six feet long just just for decon. Um, rather than rolling a whole 50 foot donut roll, we have a, a short length. Um, there was talk, well, we can get, a, we can get a, a, a garden hose and like, well, just use a piece of fire hose because we know we have the nozzle and we can mm-hmm. work a fog up and, and just way more. Like, yeah. I mean, we have a truck much of water and we have nozzles made for this stuff so mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think having a little bit of soap and a brush isn't a hard thing to have especially in something like a rescue truck five gallon yeah. bucket yeah. sealed yeah. i mean you had talked yeah. about a kiddie pool one time yeah i mean that that's, was that's more for like yeah that was big contaminants things like that but then a problem with that is okay well now what do we do with it 
Yeah, we do it. Great, it's contained. Uh, do we dump it in the drain and no one's looking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, stick a hole. hey, look at me, I contained all these contaminants. Well, we want to leave now. What the hell do we do, right? So there's still that problem. But I think, like, you know, taking the big scary CBRN terrorist events out of the talk, and we talk about our personal decon with chemical biological stuff, um, yeah, I mean, like, that scrub down on our gear is huge, and then washing our gear afterwards. Yeah. It's huge washing them every time after we have a major fire and you and you're exposed and or if it's if you're even just doing light exterior work, um, making sure you're you're following those NFPA guidelines um, for your washing cycles through the year, right? And um, the other one actually, which I learned a little while ago, thanks to the DTFF podcast and Chief Miller, Woo. was um, just the wiping of your helmet inside. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The last time I wiped my helmet before I saw that is. Never, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> when you get a new one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so huge, right? You don't think of these things. That post was one of the ones that I think opened it. Like even just in the comment section of just how many yeah. people were like, "Wow." Well, yeah, I, sure. not, I yeah, wash my gear, everything else, but I've never wiped the inside of my lid. Yeah. I brought it up at our last meeting. Meeting. I asked the membership, "I'm like, hey, let's have a show of hands of who's uh, washed their helmet." I think, and, and I think you had to clarify because a bunch of people are, oh, I wash my outside of my helmet. No, yeah, I mean, but I don't care about the outside. How about <laughs> what's actually touching your skin? You know, like, why? Game changer. Yeah. yeah. So you explain. Hey, look, the, you know, this is a thing we explain. I said about that photo from uh, Chief Miller about the guy with the, with the cancer there. It's crazy. And oh, that's weird. what sparked so much. Sorry, that's what yeah. sparked so much of that was his post. And then all these other comments, everybody else from Chief mm-hmm. Miller's post was like, oh, well, I had cancer in that same spot. And I was mm-hmm. a firefighter for 30 years. And you know, like, holy crap. Click, mm-hmm. click, click. Yep. yep. Makes all the sense. Have we ever looked into getting, I know there's that product out there, fire wipes? No, so think, we, looked we talked it, about this. Yeah, I was actually going to reach out to him and see if we can get some anyway. Um, yeah. But a lot of these guys are just using baby wipes and stuff baby on wipes, the yeah. on the trucks. And I've actually got some in my in my cubby now, which I normally do right after. Ambulance, we use those Excel wipes or green wipes now for all of our um, decontamination stuff. It works really good. I'm sure that would work just as good for us. Yeah. Yeah, because after our practice the other night, I just even wiped around my neck and stuff. It was just a little bit. Yeah. Because we were doing some live fire stuff. And this past Thursday? Uh, no, the Thursday the one, before. The one that you went in. Yeah. Yeah, because it was... Well, I went in last Thursday. Yeah, but yeah, we, we, were, right we were wiping... Yeah. yeah, I was wiping... I was like, ugh. <laughs> I, I, I went in there. Anytime that we were in... Once we're done, I go into the washroom and just splash some water on me and wipe it off with a white paper towel. And I'm like, ugh, that's terrible. I need a shower now. Well, another, I think it was another Chief Miller one, was they showed about, um, somebody had a shower, mm-hmm. showed the towel, and then they went and sat in the sauna, yeah. used a towel, and how much filthier that mm-hmm. towel was after the sauna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the uh, grossest things that happens is because, uh, you know, I'll do a structure fire or something, and then uh, I'll go to I'll go to jiu-jitsu. You probably see the same thing now. Go yeah. to jiu-jitsu the next night and Stink. wrestle with some of the, like, you smell, you, you smell like barbecue or something. What does that smell? I'm like, I was at a structure fire last night. This, Seeping this out is of all pores. cancer coming out of me right now. Just, yeah, everything just stinks. Yeah. Like, and that, so that just goes to show. I'm like, oh, like just like, getting that sweat on afterwards, getting that out. Is, mm-hmm. Especially during grass fire season, I, I find it for days after you shower and stuff, and it doesn't matter. You can turn the heat up on your shower, and you just even you're just sat there going, did I leave the window open? Is someone burning? And it's no, it's me. Like I just. Still smell like campfire. That yeah. black line at the top of your oh, yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. So I'm advocating jujitsu uh, after every call now. 
Yes. Split <laughs> it all out. Sign me up for a sauna. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now you want the sauna. I've always wanted a sauna. How many guys are we going to fit in a sauna before it's weird? <laughs> we were talking about making a big one. Hey, Bob, if you're listening, we want a sauna. Yeah, we want a sauna. We had this conversation. Or that decon systems out of the States where they're building the, the saunas and they're putting exercise bikes in them. Yeah. Yeah. Do around on the exercise bikes. Well, because you're sweating. You can't just sit in a sauna. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, that's it. Is everyone, I think the argument for saunas is, oh, well, you're, how, it's not, Everybody thinks it's detoxifying you. Yeah, not if you're sitting. And they're like, well, no, it doesn't detoxify. Well, no, it's not detoxifying. It's opening up your pores and pushing your sweat out. And that sweat is what's pushing the toxins out of your pores. So it's not sitting in your pores being absorbed by your body. Yeah. Or making you stink for three weeks. Yeah. Or garbage can. But if you jump in the shower, you're not necessarily rinsing it out. It's pushing it into the pores. No room it's gone. we got to have a shower right after getting the sweat out yes exactly jump out of the sauna right into the shower i think the other thing now and i know we're kind of we're talking about that personal uh the personal decon stuff when i go home now before i go anywhere as soon as i walk in the house all of my clothes come off and even this now people Uh will look at this and they'll say that's um, a walks into a hotel I was going to bring up the speedy in the hot tub situation. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things now where I take, I go straight into the laundry room, I take all my stuff off and I throw it in the washing machine and then we've got a decon setting on my washing machine at home. Now, people would still you argue do? that we do, yeah. But people would still argue that you can, you should be doing that in the hall. And I completely agree. You absolutely yep. should be. And, are we there yet? No. Will we get there? I don't know. Whether it'll do that in my lifetime, I don't know. As many times as everyone, I'm sure, has tried, you try and make things, you try and push that change, it's very difficult to always get where you want it to be. Um, but progress is being made regardless. But that, for me, has been meant, been a big thing. So that goes straight in, and then I go straight into the shower before I do anything else. And uh, that kind of strip down happens. I've got all my stuff in that laundry room towel, and I'm ready to go. I go straight in and, and straight into the bathroom and shower and stuff straight away. So, I think one hard thing though with us is volunteers too. Like that doesn't happen every time. If I'm at home and we get a big fire, yeah. sure I'll do that when I get home. Yeah. If it's something small and you're back in an hour or two hours, or you know, I'm back to work. I'm back to doing yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, like I'm not spending time decalling myself mm-hmm. at the fire hall. Nope, same. I mean, yeah. it, this is like the, it's that 3 a.m. call, you know, mm-hmm. it's that one, and I do that. But yeah, if it's a grass mm-hmm. fire, you're going back to work. Yeah. Like, you're going oh, yeah. back to and doing that's whatever like you you're said, doing, this, right? You know, this this change that we all need to start doing, that's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me to make up my mind. <clears> like, well, I should spend an hour here at the fire hall, have a shower, maybe a sauna if we had one, you know, do that proper, decontaminate, decontaminate my gear, and then go home in an hour, but I'm probably not going to. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. getting that mindset to change. Yeah, yeah. supper's on the table, or yep. <coughs> you go pick up the kids, mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, <coughs> it's is it it's def it's definitely especially especially tough for volunteers again because of that reason, and maybe maybe your hall doesn't have that those resources. Maybe your hall doesn't have a shower. You know, mm-hmm. now you're 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 hooking up the hose line and standing there getting yeah. getting soaked down with that instead, right? Yeah. Like, it's uh, it's all very. Yeah, you, you can't kind of co in one umbrella. Does a hot tub work? 
I know Grant's a big wouldn't hot tub it, fan. Wouldn't it just keep it all in the hot tub? I don't know. Like, is, does, well, yeah. unless it is the pores open up and does it come out? Or is chlorine? It, Would the chlorine kill? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering, cause, like, why wouldn't they install hot tubs? Or is it just because that's a little too far for people? Is that too far for them well, to be like, oh, as far as I just have hot tubs now? As long as you have the bubbles on. I'm just letting the bubbles on. Is it as effective? Because I mean, now hands are out of the water. Because I guess now, well, now you got this water that's full of contaminants. And then more guys pile in and because I mean, if you dump enough chlorine in, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah, if but you're, you're still not kill. getting that stuff off oh, no, of your system. You're no, opening up your pores, yes, around. and it's floating around. Yeah, but it's, it's, like it's all sitting in the pool. Dirty bath just, war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just always wondering about that because I don't, I know Grant's a big fan of that, but I mean, yeah, he that, just has his own hot tub. That sounds like anybody who's listening from these uh, fire decon systems that are making these saunas, they should get back to you guys. But. Oh, they yeah, totally should. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> they should yep. give us a freebie to test that. Yeah. <laughs> they should make a hot tub that has like a full-on recycle system. But it'd be nice um, to know. I'm sure these guys that have done these saunas and all the science, man, I'm sure they've had the same conversation about a hot tub versus not. So they need to be mm-hmm. more public. Like what else? Because it takes you a while to get right? the sweat yeah. going in a sauna. Well, hot tub, you're yeah. right in the hot, right? Well, I guess if you well, were steam, doing steam, is that we've complete. <clears throat> Sorry, Bob. Um, <laughs> hey, what, were you on active shooters uh, yeah, 30 minutes ago active shooter to hot tub time machine um, if you had something that was kind of filtering the water and then heating it up to a certain temperature maybe to kill everything and then pushing that water back in kind of uh-huh. sucking it out and pushing it back in I, I have no idea well like cause even a steam room like you get saunas and you get steam rooms I always find when I go to the steam room it's like I pour and sweat out way faster than I am in a sauna just me yeah, I don't know well, something's got to be working because you see more and more posts of these steam rooms or sauna systems with the bikes. Yes. Yeah. Something's got to be working for them with that, too. Just just to throw more that more plug in there, it's working. decon no, systems out of the States. Decon systems? Decon systems. So we let you know so we can decon properly. Yeah. Tell them DTFF sent you. <laughs> and give us a free sauna. This room ruined a sauna. We lose our podcast. No, we can still we can do the podcast and just do the podcast. Oh, that's gonna be awkward. This is what I was just looking for. So this is the guy. He was in a sauna, and it's showing the black sweat that comes off, right? Dripping off. Oh yeah, right. So that's he was in there getting the sweat on. Looks like Mickey. Telling you, decon systems. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> good line. We'll uh, do a, a decon system review. So we have gone all across the board today, and I don't even know if the fire rescue title even works anymore. So regardless, um, there was a lot of information, <clears throat> a lot of information in that. It was a lot of different bits and pieces. Obviously, we talked about the active shooter side. Um, <clears throat> reach out to us as well if you guys are kind of training this stuff at all uh, we'd like to know because again you know small towns I think any town now if you're uh, fire as well as um, emergency responders first responders you're, you're probably going to start having these conversations eventually um, with this stuff kind of moving forward so just let us know I'd like to know if your departments are, are doing it really be interesting to see what kind of procedures you guys are running um and again try and build that standard and share that knowledge uh any more for any more gents no that's, that's pretty good okay. ash thanks guys kev good evening girl rob good night
Good evening, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Spence. Hey, Carl. So I'm Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks for coming, everybody. Todd. Thanks, Todd. Todd. Slow clap. Good <laughs> 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 <Can> night, <I>, everyone. <laughs>